Well, scream if you want to go faster. It's Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydock, watching a Doctor Who episode, commentating along and seeing if I can guess my special guest's favourite things about it, whilst accentuating the positive myself. Hi there, Toby, and hi everyone. My name is Jess Jerkovic. I'm a jazz pianist, arranger, composer in New York City. And most recently, in the last four years, I've been doing a YouTube project called The Dudley Simpson Is Doctor Who Project, where I transcribe my favorite bits of Dudley Simpson music and create a solo piano arrangement of those pieces. I'm choosing Fury from the Deep. Well, welcome everybody to episode five of Fury from the Deep. And uh, the disadvantage for patrons currently is that uh, I'm watching this almost in real time, like an episode a, a week, um, whereas normally they get uh, one of these every every other day. So uh, patrons of having uh, having the release of this mixed up with whatever I can find in my sock drawer. Fortunately, in my sock drawer are lots of cassettes uh, with ancient recordings on that I've converted to MP3 and include Jack May's tribute to Patrick Troughton on Radio 4. Uh, from when he passed away and uh, various bits and bobs. Anyway, that's all happening over in Patronville. Well, it happened over in Patronville probably around six months ago, whereas you, uh, if you're not a patron, are listening to this and all that's uh, my... <laughs> I'm currently a bit under the weather and Sheridan's very poorly too, so um, I've not been uh, not been recording these as frequently as I would like. But the advantage of that for everybody is that... Um, I've sort of been picking up feedback between the episodes. So, hands up first, uh, confession, I said that uh, John Deere had said that the beach used in this was for the uh, Jonathan Miller oh, whistle and I'll come to you, my lad. It wasn't, it was for the subsequent, the later BBC uh, version of it. And that was my mistake, uh, not John's. I misreported what he sent and uh, I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to sully his reputation as an expert on all things ghost stories for Christmas and slash um, UK beaches of the 21st century. Um, tw well, anyway, um, so yeah, that was my mistake, not John's. He told me the correct information and in between reading it and opening my mouth, <laughs> uh, the, the wrong information came out. Happens more and more frequently these days. Um, but, uh, and also... Um, archaeology, history, photography has made a liar of me. I was speaking truth when I said we have no uh, photos of the human cast, uh, the speaking cast, on set of Fury from the Deep. We have a few of the extras from the sort of sequences where the pipes explode with foam, etc., 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 a few of the special effects bods, etc. Um, and literally between recording this episode and uh, the, the one before, um, Alamy suddenly, out of nowhere, produced a gorgeous picture of Patrick Troughton on the set of uh, Fury from the Deep. These kinds of episodes, um, the later stuff, I wonder if it was from the filming. I can't think off the top of my head. They're very, very new. Uh, but also another one of, a, no, because it's a BBC, it's not a film camera. So I think it's in the studio of around episode five because Megan Jones is there, chief engineer, back to camera. So there are not great shots of the guest cast, but having said, there are no shots of the guest cast, apart from that one of Victor Madden in the Radio Times, but that's a lost picture now, but we we do have him in the Radio Times. Um, 
so you know if 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 i lament that something isn't here uh, between episodes it turns up so um what a shame we don't have all six episodes of fury from the deep in pristine condition in the bbc archives there let's hope that uh, history repeats itself so how delightful that uh, even now uh, i could be talking about an episode of of doctor who and uh, something new will pop up just on the internet uh, just uh, thanks to the alamy photo library um whatever they are um and uh, yes john again john dear points out because we left we left the uh, the the action on episode 4 of fury from the deep with doctor who saying uh, it's it's begun the battle of the giants because he realized it was the end of the episode and as john said um there is a dad's army episode called the battle of the giants so uh, so we can it is possible to envisage a time where one will say that even though i you know i said at the end of last week i, I can't imagine a time where i'd say that so yes if i if i hoik up my uh, dad's army uh, dvd box set i could just before i press play on that particular episodes episode or just after i've pressed play so it's begun the battle of the giants yeah david gillespie um points out that um Tom Baker calls uh, Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill on the uh, audio cassette of this a psychotic Laurel and Hardy. It's, uh, did, did Eric Saywood write the uh, linking narrations of those? He did some of them, not all. Um, but that's a good line, psychotic. I don't know why I didn't think of Laurel and Hardy last week. I mean, they've been compared to that before, and rightly so. And I think I was all over the place trying to think of something saying and didn't alight upon the obvious one it's sometimes the case when one's mouth is in overdrive doing this trying to fill a vacuum of one own one's own silence that the uh, obvious apposite and indeed intelligent thing to say doesn't come that's just the nature of the beast uh and so look uh, let's uh let's see if we can get to um to episode five uh, Nigel Bromley says he wonders if uh, Oak and Quill were the template for Winton Kid from Diamonds Are Forever. Um, well, I suppose Mr. Quill could be could be uh, <laughs> Crispin Glover's dad. Um, uh, maybe they were. Let's anyway. Let's see if we can uh, find all sorts of exciting things to say as we froth at the mouth for episode five. So I'm going to press play in three. Two, one. Ah, so yeah, I've really drawn this out. I think I found I, I, I was worried it would be a difficult one to talk about, even though it's got lots of very personal things to me. But I don't think that's necessarily very interesting to you guys. And also because I was stung when we did running through corridors, and I found it tricky. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't this recon. This is obviously the one that's been done for the Blu-ray. Um, and the, the but the previous recon was very good, um, yes. So um, Troughton's very good at this sort of dramatic stuff, isn't he? Um, you know, he's 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 very good at the making it all seem, you know, deeply uh, vital and important and threatening. Uh, even though essentially all they're doing is they're staring at a, a pipe with a with an inspection window. But that's the stuff of good sci-fi, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit like Quatermass 2 at the end of episode four of that. You know, Quatermass opens a, opens a, 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 
an inspection hatch and inside is a throbbing mass of uh, not seaweedy tentacles but not dissimilar jack kinds and dressed in latex and thrashing about in a bit of dry ice um uh so uh The, and the, it's odd, isn't it, that because we're talking, the oil rigs are a kind of presence throughout, but we don't actually spend any time on them. I wonder if today, you know, we would we would have scenes with Chief Baxter and with Carney and all, all of that sort of stuff going on. But um, actually the fact that we're largely confined to here, um, you know, means that we have, you know, being being cut off gives the sense of even though it's the rigs that are the ones that are isolated you know being cut off and, and unable to speak to the people you want to speak to uh, and of having to imagine what's happening to them is you know the sort of noises off kind of threat that uh, makes us use our imagination which is part of the stock in trade of doctor who um uh Oh yes, and of course, because Mr. Oak—that's the—that's the fascinating thing about Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill is that obviously they've been—they've uh, been infected by the weed, and they've been the sort of the the not exactly sleeper agents, but the seaweed agents within within the complex, uh, and they've been targeting and nobbling uh, the the important people in order that the seaweed can you know get up to its nefarious business. But that means that Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill, I mean, they're this glorious, psychotic Laurel and Hardy. I, I quite liked um, Tweedledum and Tweedledcadaver. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but um, that does mean that prior to being infected by the wind, that the wind, Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill were just ordinary refinery technicians one of whom looks like lurch from the adams family and one of whom is a, a rather overly polite rotund sort of chap um which 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 and, and look they've got that wonderful silhouette they're a great looking pair they are really but they are very incongruous they and they don't quite they don't quite exist outside the confines of this story. And I don't mind that at all, because I think they are a very, very effective and spooky presence and a great double act. But they are unusual. They are a tip into the surreal, which is quite unusual for this period in the show's history. They're a sort of bold left-field manoeuvre that we don't really talk about. I think it's always discussed that they're effective and that they're... Uh, I know... I know you know, one of one is Gary's criticisms of the book in that uh, so influential on me that uh, Doctor Who magazine review of the book saying, you know, they kind of disappear, uh, which is a shame because they're such an important presence, and uh, and they do. This is their last episode, um, and I mean, Quill gets overcome, he gets defeated, but uh, Oak just uh, vanishes, uh, never to reply to a letter I sent him. Uh, he was very old though by then. But we're still working, John Gill. Um, still working right up, right up to it. Um, uh, lots of interesting shots of, you know, people framed 
uh, in the foreground and, and people in the background, uh, even in these telesnaps. And that's a nice close up of a of a Sten gun uh, emphasizing that Robson is being guarded, which suggests more, you know, suggests that Hugh David has his eye on keeping this stuff visually interesting. And I think those directors tend to be the ones that, you know, that, that, that hold your attention more. But it's all guesswork. Um, but yeah, Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill being this slightly strange double act, meaning for all of this, you know, the plausibility here, and I think that it is a very realistic setup and much more realistic than the setups in sort of all, all of the other stories this season, or perhaps the most accessible, um, apart from Slash Alongside the Web of Fear, which I think has its militaristic setup. Uh, is is painted very well. I mean, you have the comedy, the slightly sort of anxious comedy relief in Chorley. He's a slightly larger than life character, and and Travers as well. But but all the soldiers are, you know, there's no no idiosyncratic characterization going on. Oh well, apart from Driver Evans, ha <laughs> ha. Um, but still, there's a is that you know it's sort of pl plausible and earthy. And th and this is you know it, it's all a, a very serious intent here, and and not trying to be. Um, sort of space age uh as as you know tomb and and wheel have that and and enemy of the world has the sort of futuristic thing going on this is um i like and i like the relationship between these two robson and megan you believe that they've got a past i think in the book doesn't he there's a suggestion that he's lost his family in a car crash or he's lost his family a few years earlier but but i i, I like this because she's she's sort of yelling at him and being hard on him but but actually they have a bit now don't they where she's the, the 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 pull back and reveal is kind of oh she's actually doing it she's actually doing it for his trying to snap him out of it she's not doing it because she's being mean and bossy uh and the fact that she uh you know calls him john and now i'm sure in the book i'm sure his name tag says robson sr maybe or something because I, I remember when she calls him john later um which is obviously in the script by the time Victor Pemberton got to that bit, he'd forgotten that he'd just casually, you know, when he had somebody spot the name tag, given him a different Christian name. But then again, you uh, or a suggestion of a different Christian name. But um, now sometimes people's uh, names that we call them are not what their first name is. But I think that's I think that's more more a mistake in the book. There's a few there's a few that of those that stick in mind. There's one in the. I'm sure I've mentioned it on this podcast before. The uh, the robots of death when they have the tall, lean Cass uh, on the bridge after he's died. Uh, and uh, but yeah, I think I'm sure Robson's Robson's name badge does not is not he's not Robson J. Um, I think Fraser and Deborah Watling are really rising to the occasion with this. Here's another shot of uh, of Jamie and Zoe or. or Jamie and Victoria of, t of two people in the foreground and somebody somebody much further back seems to be a nice little trademark of uh, Hugh David that which I'm more than happy to see him doing um, <clears throat> um, but seeing as the battle of the giants is about to begin it's sort of this is the calm before the storm isn't it they've uh, you know they're playing the waiting game um it's a shame we don't have uh, sort of more of the sort of heartbeat. I think that was such an effective presence early on. You kind of want that. You want you want something in the sound, don't you? Um, Emphasising the fact that 
something is a brewing and something is afoot. But but Troughton brings with him a certain intensity, doesn't he, and a certain uh, grim anticipation, a quiet because he's very quiet when he needs to be Troughton. Such a good actor. Um. And yeah, uh, Vic, Victor Madden, uh, what a what a what a busy uh, man he was. He uh, and yeah, as I say, still he was still when he wrote to me. Um, you know, he had his he had his school for public speaking. He and, and I say this with uh, with uh, without giving away my uh, um, uh, my loyalties, um, but. I believe I read in a that I think Victor's featured in the Telegraph book of obituaries. I I have, would not write uh, the Telegraph and I are not I would say necessarily compatible newspapers. Oh, here's a clip. We try I tried to identify this guard for for somebody. I think it might have been for Gary, uh, and I couldn't because actually a lot of the guard extras aren't extras in anything else. Um, and, but you know it's the extent actually of. Uh, <coughs> of of how much detail he's gone into in uh, in some of these releases is that um, uh, Gary asked me so then I, we, we, uh, uh, I I sent Margot Hayho who's AFM uh, a message saying I don't suppose you know the name of this guy do you uh, and you know delve here look there blumbly blumbly blum I I go to my old spotlights just to see extras aren't usually don't usually advertise in spotlight but very occasionally one might have had a flush year or I've just got a new agent or something like that was trying to break into speaking roles and and you sometimes see them in an edition of spotlight but then it'd have to be one of the ones that I've got but I don't know until I start looking uh, and anyway so, so, so that was an evening wasted. <laughs> um, so yeah, Oak and, Oak and Quill uh, are kind of getting away, and this is this is their rather ignominious end. But that that looks like a great because um, he's got because he pulls that face so brilliantly. Um, the the bit where he grabs Jamie and sort of breathes the gas. Now again, if you were doing that these days, and I'd I'd you know I'd argue the same with the shot of Robson that we do have that clip of. You would you would ripple the the, the picture effect slightly, wouldn't you? Because because the gas breathing out is reliant on the actors opening their mouths and a sound effect, and it doesn't it doesn't quite. It just needs that extra dimension to it, which you couldn't do in the 60s, but you would definitely do now. You might even show the gas, but I think you wouldn't. I think you'd just ripple the picture slightly for, you know, when you can see gas or when a, a horizon is hot or whatever. Um, that, that kind of ripple, ripple of the, of, of the, of the picture that you do. Um, but we have the first clue there, and that's a nice joke, isn't it? The uh, Jamie thinks, you know, Jamie hopes he's, He's punched Mr. Quill out, but uh, actually, it turns out to be Victoria's scream, and that's a that's a great that's a great wheeze, isn't it? That uh, that uh, Victoria in her last story, Victoria, the famous screaming companions, leather lungs, Deborah Watling, her scream is the uh, is 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 the answer to all of their problems. Uh, now Robson's hand looks quite good in uh, in 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 some of these pictures that we have um, with the with with the with the seaweed. Uh, I'm not sure it's quite so good in the in the little clips we have in the helicopter. But let's see. Now nothing like a perspex panel shattering uh, and yeah, a torrential flood exploding from the pipe. That's what we want. Glorious. 
bet that looks absolutely fantastic. Why didn't the Australian census cut that? That would have been amazing. Um, but all of that, and that's all you could do, you know, with a bit, just spray a bit of foam about. But, oh, you know, very exciting. Um, very exciting. <coughs> um, so what was my, but my train of thought about three minutes ago, I was talking about something else, wasn't I? Um, uh, before, before Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill ran off. Oh, well, doesn't matter. Um, but I'm sure I didn't finish a train of thought for which I can only apologize. It's the nature of the beast. Um, Troughton's very, very good at panic. Uh, um, and of course, you know, the idea of having, uh, our gas supply as the, uh, as the cause of the threat is another, you know, rather marvellous uh, Doctor Who-y type thing. Something that we take for granted, something that we don't think about but know is there, is suddenly housing, you know, the alien menace that uh, could consume us all. And that's a very beautifully Doctor Who-y thing. Um, but, I'm still, but I'm still not sure if this is a, a, a typical story or an unusual one or a bizarre mixture of the typical and the unusual um and i was thinking it was getting a bit slow but then we've just had you know robson kidnap victoria we've had uh, we've we've had the confrontation uh with with uh, oak and quill and we've 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 got the we've got the foam bursting out uh and Maggie's not been back, has she? I suppose she was in the beginning of episode four, and I think she's not in episode five. And so she, then she just comes back at the end. Um, ah, yes. So, the, the yes, the mini-moak. Uh, the the mini-moak is mentioned in the text here. Mini-moak caused all sorts of trouble when we were doing Planet of the Spiders. So the mini-moak is a little... It's just, it's just, a, it's just a little car. Uh, it's not a helicopter, but there is a helicopter... Uh, in this episode and yes Vic, that's right Victor Madden that's what I was talking about he'd got a photo of him in the helicopter that he offered to send me and he never did um but yeah he uh, he had a he had a school for public speaking that's right he had a telegraph obituary that's what I was getting to that said uh, he gave discounts to or didn't charge politicians who were members of the conservative party so that's just a little insight into Victor Madden for you uh but he was very much a sort of entrepreneur and a doer. Uh, and, uh, uh, and and he said that they had a party, he told me, they had a party after filming was done where the, the helicopter pilot, I think, dropped them uh, in his, it, 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 at, at his home, Fraser, Susan George, uh, and a few of the others. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was very jolly and forthcoming and i thought ancient uh and then died at 66 oh another another uh see that yeah that seaweed coming out of his coming out of his polo neck it's because it's not moving it looks but his i think his hands look great actually no i'd misremembered that so his hands are a bit sort of meglossy they're they're quite good they're, they're gloves aren't they it's quite substantial uh, and i think they look pretty decent uh the 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 sort of wisp that you can't quite do anything with coming out of his uh, 
coming out of his polo neck is, I think, slightly less effective. But um, but it's it's just it's the it's the attempt to show you know subjugation to the weed, and that's quite a creepy idea, isn't it? The idea that you know obviously underneath his clothes there he's got some sort of writhing, you know. Uh, 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 and un, un, yeah underwater algae clinging to his skin that's quite a that's quite a gruesome idea i like that um yeah sea, seaweed as a as a monster is a fantastic idea and i like the fact i'd forgotten in the uh earlier episodes that you know that they they do at least sort of allude to you know ancient mariners and uh you know the fact that these are you know ancient creatures of legend and horror but i i actually quite like the fact that although they're about to get a spokesperson in robson who because you sort of need somebody to chat to that they don't really bother to explain or give too much personality to the to the weed creature i mean robson kind of explains the the plot and the plan a little bit but not much at uh at the beginning of the next episode but other than that it's just a sort of malevolent amorphous you know massive seaweed and that's fine it doesn't need i've been writing about the quatermass experiment and you know the original plan was for the monster at the end to sort of chat to them and say i want you know and, and make a list of demands that's why they had this you know that's why it, what ends up as a pub you know a, a tv broadcast where everyone sort of starts running away or whatever is is so that the creature could broadcast on the television and say i would like the following things and i i don't think the quatermass experiment would be quite so well remembered if nigel neal's gloved hands had, had been chatty um but it's brave because it can be quite unsatisfying to have something with which your heroes cannot communicate um so again that's why robson sort of needs to get taken over so at least they can have a bit of a confrontation at the beginning of the end of this episode or the beginning of the next and um which involves victor madden um you know getting covered in bubble bath and he he, he actually said to me in his 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 letter um you know if you know that that the, the feeling that it was like was uh you know um, um, imagine it, you know submerging your head in bubble bath um, he referred to it as a film as well, which I think was quite nice and old-fashioned, um, and said that it's it's uh, it was one that uh, you know people did did approach him about quite often. Uh, so yeah, I had a lovely letter from Victor Madden, from Roy Spencer, a slightly shorter letter, and uh, and from John Abernary. Uh and it was but it wasn't my first. But I'd I'd also written to some of the cast of Power of the Daleks, uh, Bernard Archard and Edward Kelsey and Robert James. Uh, and those two sets of three interviews were the first things I got published uh, in Doctor Who magazine. Uh, in fact, the Roy Spencer bit letter was so short they didn't end up using it. It was just Victor and, and John's. Um, but those were in Doctor Who magazines in, magazines in ancient times. Uh, and it was the gosh, it was the height of excitement that uh, yeah, I got a I got a couple of articles published at the age of what well, I was still at school, college. Yeah, I was about sixteen. Um, and as I record this, I've just stopped writing for Doctor Who magazine because I was doing a thing called uh, the Space Time Telegraph uh, that I've handed over into somebody who's much younger and keener and much better at finding out uh, what forthcoming series and films and plays have Doctor Who alumni in. Uh, I think I'm better at digging around, scrabbling about in the past and looking at 
looking at things like this. Patrick Troughton in a bobble hat. <laughs> yes, that's not, I've not talked about that enough. I think those pictures of Patrick Troughton in his bobble hat uh, and, and playing his recorder uh, on the beach. Uh, the, 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 I think, is Troughton the only doctor that could pull off a bobble hat? Actually, I think Jodie Whittaker might be able to pull off a bobble hat. But I think I, I, I think Patrick Troughton pull, pulls off a bobble hat particularly well, and I believe he had a didn't he have a tea cosy on his head when he served? He served in the naval defences, didn't he? Or or uh, or, or in uh, he would. Um, I've done a whole podcast about the Doctor's military service. Uh, I think he you know he rescued he rescued people who'd fallen into the. Uh, water after battles and stuff like that and I think he gave safe passage uh, to people uh, uh, across the sea um, cargo boats and that sort of thing um, and and was a captain was mentioned in dispatches so a brave man um, and uh, and I I believe rather famously he was you know seen as a bit of an eccentric because he wore a he wore a tea cosy on his head whilst uh, whilst on duty. So I think he, he was, you know, he was he was an odd. Didn't I think David Maloney called him a bit of a weirdo? And I I'm, I sense no pejorativeness in that. I think he was a, you know, he was an oddball. And uh, I'm often you know, often the most interesting actors are actually the ones with a slightly strange and offbeat energy that uh, that then has to be coupled with excellent technique. Um, you don't want too wayward a performer. Um, because it all has to be, all that energy has to be controlled and conveyed. Acting's not just about d doing it and feeling it and being it. It's it's actually conveying it to the audience. So now, now that shot of Victor Madden looks pretty good, rising out of the foam, saying, "Doctor, you were expected." Uh, and again, in in real life, that that will either be a, you know a spooky. Uh, image of this sort of looming uh, parody of the human form, you know, with this the, the sea foam clinging to it, or it's a man who who's dressed fully dressed and standing in bubble bath. Who knows? Well, we will know because obviously we are so sad that episodes one to six of Fury from the Deep are missing, and that lament will will call out uh, and reverberate and prompt. Their immediate return. That's my plan. So, what is now? I've got to choose what my oh, what my favourite thing about episode five of Fury from the Deep is. Well, I think I th I think it's. And I mean, this is across a lot of the episodes. I did like the scene where Megan Jones talks to Robson because I believe their history, and I think they're two sort of grown-up, normal characters from sort of normal, grown-up drama, and that 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 lends a bit of clout to the to the sci-fi proceedings and makes it feel like you know Doctor Who is not is not talking down to the kiddies because it's got a an unostentatiously real portrayal of sort of adult relationships um you know you could sort of if you like i'm sure there are some are they called um some of you shippers out there i don't know if that's the right word who've probably done some fanfic i don't know if that's the word about robson and megan jones having been lovers at a previous time um what would you call it uh 
Mob Mobson, <laughs> Megan Jones and Robson. Uh, uh, are you Jobsons? Jobsons, Jones and Robson. Are you Jobson shippers? You young people. <laughs> oh dear. Hashtag not my gas refinery chief. Um, anyway, uh, that you could if you so desired. But yeah, maybe maybe Megan Jones was driving past Robson's one day and saw that pampas grass and the rest is history. But yeah, I like their relationship. I like the bit where the foam bursts out the pipe. I love the pictures that we have of that. That's pretty much all that we have of that. Uh, well, we've got the sound, uh, but you know what I mean. Um, but those those pictures look pretty good. Um, I like the perspex breaking, the glass breaking, and the, the creature thrashing behind it. But I think... Uh, now, I like Victoria's scream. Um, what's the... I must have been talking over it because I was waiting for it to happen. I, I, I love Patrick Troughton's delivery of the line. I don't think it was the punch that did it, uh, you know, because it, it wasn't James brute force that... Uh, knocked out Mr. Quill. It was Victoria's scream, which is, which uh, we will be coming to uh, next episode as an important. Device. I suppose that could be. No, I think I think it has to be. That has to be for episode six. Um. I think. I think my favourite thing about episode five, but it is a thing that that that, that crosses all of the episodes of Fury from the Deep. Is that the mon the seaweed monster? I think it's a great idea for a monster. It seems to me to be pretty well realised. Um, you know that its presence behind the glass, the fact that it's a, it's a it's an amorphous glob that you know you doesn't doesn't talk and all of that. The fact that they don't over-explain what it is and just let it sort of speak for itself or throb for itself. And it looks to me like Hugh David's done a pretty good job of of keeping it fairly realistic. Um, so I think my favourite thing about episode five is that the monster is a seaweed monster. It's unique to to Doctor Who, and this is you know this is the only story in which I mean it's, as as I'm saying this claim to fame, it's a it's a pretty tenuous one. It's like saying interactive menu. Uh, it's the only Doctor Who story with malevolent seaweed in it, but you know what I mean. It's not, and they don't. Well, it never never comes back. Uh, it's just, but it's in a very effective menace in this particular six part Doctor Who adventure. What does Jess Jerkovic? He won't have chosen the seaweed, I'm sure. Okay, we're into episode five now. Tensions really building, about to explode. We get the capture of Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill, where their music is played at like twice the speed, which is pretty hilarious. Uh, there's the weed breaking through and overwhelming the pipeline room, which, although we have just pictures, looks amazing. And then we have a really great cliffhanger. But not only that, the buildup to that, there's like minute or two of the doctor and Jamie on the control rig trying to find Victoria but trying but trying to be stealthy really beautiful in terms of building up the tension my favorite element of episode five uh, is the one moment of repose in this episode and that's when Megan Jones goes to see her old friend Robson in his cabin to try to try to get through to him he's under the control of the weed, but he's sort of 
incapacitated. He's just laying in his bunk, not doing anything. And so she hopes to reach him because they're old friends. And she tries various tactics. She tries to be a little firm. She tries to be a little tender. She tries various tactics and then she gets through by appealing to Robson's egotism and saying, basically, I'll demote you and kick you back to the rigs if you don't pull it together. That's what reaches him. But just for a minute, and it's actually at that moment that at last, I can have sympathy for Robson. It's really just easy to dismiss him as, you know, as I said earlier, to put it nicely, a piece of work. Uh, you can see that he's a man way out of his depth and now also being overtaken by this parasitic force and he is overwhelmed by it. He can't, he can't get out of it. And that scene is really kind of lovely because again, a character driven moment. I always enjoy those. I appreciate when stories are able to do that and I don't feel like it slows down the story. I feel like it makes the story better when we get that sense. And so love that scene, love that moment uh, of quiet. Oh, I nearly chose that bit and I didn't. I chose the seaweed monster instead. But I do love that scene and I think Margaret John and Victor Madden are very, very good. Um, but uh, unfortunately, uh, yes, I, uh, I didn't choose that. I'm, I'm, I'm exited that, uh, <laughs> that uh, scenario and just chose the seaweed instead. Doesn't matter, does it? Even though I was, I've been, Jess and I have been pretty close on occasion and, and a couple of my very kind patrons have said to the bits where I said, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I get the point for that. I've gone, no, you do. And wouldn't it be appropriate if I actually, if I actually won with, with Fury from the Deep because this is the story that was my first ever favourite Doctor Who story and the one I championed and the, the first one I knew the cast list of and uh, oh and, it, and, it, and, and and for so many reasons good and bad of, uh, of my identity as a Doctor Who fan um, but I'm sure I'll talk about that more uh, next week as we come to the climax of this story that is an important one to me for all sorts of reasons and yet none that I, I deserve to own because I've never seen it. Uh, I wasn't alive when it was on. Um, there have been no occasions where it's sort of been broadcast or, or, or coincided with, you know, with the timeline of my life or anything like that. But for some reason, this, uh, this it mixture of all its different elements have somehow uh, ended up to contrive for a period to make it uh my cause you know i want everyone to love fury from the deep because it's uh it's 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 the story people don't know is great well people didn't know because they'd not seen it but what i didn't let on it was nor had i but i mean obviously i did let on. i knew anyway we'll talk about that next time i don't mind choosing the seaweed because i haven't talked about the seaweed that much and it is it is the it is the bad guy and it's a good bad guy uh and and again it's one of the many unique elements of this story that make up what is quite an unusual beast so um we've got uh, we've got one more 
episode of Fury from the Deep left. Let's hope I can uh, continue my love for it and that the bubble, or I mean, there's quite a lot of bubbles, doesn't burst. Well, thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Jess Jerkovic, who can be found on Twitter at Jess Jerkovic. I'm grateful to Jess and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Andy Larson, Stephen Moffat, Stephen White, Sidney Wilson, Andrew Wilson, Andrew Willis, Michael Williams, Rich Wiggins, Adam Westwood, Gary Wales, Apollo C. Vermouth, Sabrina Tirabassi, Nick Temple, Neil Tate, Stephen, all small case, no surname, Matt Sawyer, that's not his surname, Matt Sawyer, Jim Saxter, Mark Sandin, John Rivers, Dylan Reese, Scott Pride, Kevin Parker, Jonathan Potter, Keith Perry, Melvin Pena, Dave Owen, Graham Knott, Matthew Newton, Jonathan Molyneux, Nathan Moore, Stuart Mitchell, Rossa McPhillips, John McClay and Jason Mayo. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you would like to join that list of patrons, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Having your name read out is one of the gifts that you are bestowed for bestowing upon me uh, your largesse. Uh, and generosity Uh, you get your name mentioned more um, the higher up the tiers you go but generally the tier thing is of very little importance most things most advantages most gifts most bonuses what are the bonuses toby you get bonus material you get exclusive releases you get a whole podcast just to yourself called far too much information and you are in advance of the non-patrons with the normal releases six months ahead with happy times and places and about a month or so with too much information and indefinable magic. Uh, All of that is available on every tier, including the lowest one, which is £3 per month. And every tier is available at 10% less if you sign up for a year. So that's patreon.com forward slash Toby now, it may be that you don't want to commit to a monthly thing uh, and just can be doing without any of those pesky bonuses, um, in which case you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and basically throw, uh, I was going to say metaphorical cash into my metaphorical hat as I busk and you walk by, but the, the busking is metaphorical, the hat is metaphorical, your your money is is actual. Um, I'm, I mean, I'd, I'd, be, I'd gratefully accept... No, I wouldn't. No, I accept any attention. But um, so a a metaphor would be welcome, but um, it's it's not the same as what you do on 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 Kofi or Patreon, which is where you actually you actually do do send actual existing money, not metaphorical. Um, Though it doesn't really exist, does it? Because it's just an electronic signal. But anyway, you lose it and I get it. I don't know how it works. It's the modern world. Um, so yes uh, but if you want to send me some metaphors it's fine and also what you can do that costs you nothing as long as they're nice ones um what costs you nothing is to go to podbean spotify itunes and give these five stars and a good review 
got a bit carried away with the metaphor thing there, really, didn't I? Um, you can also come to Excess Malarkey Comedy Club every Tuesday at 8pm in Manchester. We have a Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey. They're on Twitter too, uh, at Excess Malarkey. It's a comedy club that I've been doing for 25 years and I MC and have lots of lovely comedians on there. Uh, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydoke and these podcasts have their own feed at Haydoke Podcasts. I'm going to be brief uh, tonight because uh, I'm a little bit tired and uh, not not in the best of health, nor is her indoors upstairs. Oh, God, she's a catalogue of illnesses, to be perfectly honest with her. Uh, I'm, I'm perfectly honest with you, in a, in a, I think, in a more enlightened age. She's been left in a ditch somewhere, but we have to look after the poorly these days. Uh, so... Uh, uh, I will be doing my best to... Uh, oh, bless her. She's She's been right through it, she has. Um, but, it, it, I mean, one of the... Adva- well, I suppose it should be that one of the advantages of her being ill is that I can get loads of podcasting done because she's upstairs in bed and I've got the living room to myself. But I seem to be massively behind. I have been away. I've been doing something which you will get to know about soon. Uh, well... I mean, by the time this is out, again, I mean, I'm sorry to harp on about the patron thing. When this is out for non-patrons, I think the thing that I've just been doing that is in the future will have actually been in the, will have entered the public consciousness in the past. It's ancient history, whereas uh, patrons, you will get to hear about it and perhaps get some uh, exclusive little uh, insights or pictures or some things. Uh, between now and Christmas. So that's exciting, isn't it? Well, I think it is, and hopefully you do too. Um, but, um, yeah, sorry, it, we're a bit... Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of Lurgy Towers in uh, in uh, Haydokeville at the moment, but we're motoring on, and uh, I still don't know what I think of Fury from the Deep. I think I, think I love it, um, but it's... I mean, there's a there's a lot of scenes of people talking, but if it's good talk, you see, good talk is good. You can you know, you can make good drama out of people talking. It doesn't all have to be bells and whistles. Um, but but there is some you know suitably dramatic stuff there too. Interesting. We'll just have to, as I say, just have to find it. But yes, if you haven't seen those uh, pictures that uh, appeared recently, they're on Alamy, uh, and it's just two pictures, one of Patrick Trout and, and one of the sort of backs of the guest cast and a, and a, and a BBC camera. Um, another missing piece of the whacking great Doctor Who jigsaw. Uh, right, well, I'm going to go to bed and wish you all the very...